0: This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad.
1: A lot to do on a Tuesday drive. So glad you're along with us. Ahead of tonight's Heisman ceremony, odds have shifted significantly as to who's favored to win. We'll get to that in just a bit, but we've got to talk about Panthers offensive coordinator Joe Brady first, who I think is about to leave Charlotte and become an NFL head coach. And let me be clear, I think it's deserved too. Right as we were getting off the air yesterday, we learned pretty much of the inevitable that teams were going to be interested in Joe. We knew that the moment Carolina decided to hire him out of LSU a year ago. We knew that during the summer – My early inkling, talking to some people inside that building, how he's been handling some of the Zoom meetings. When we watched LSU this year versus how they looked in 2019, we just knew Joe Brady, he has it. Hard to really define what it is, but Joe Brady, he's that. And the three teams that inquired to interview him, to speak with him, the Atlanta Falcons, the LA Chargers, and the Houston Texans, and there might be more than that. Joe Brady, he's going to get a head coaching job this cycle, and you shouldn't really be distracted by the Panthers' win-loss record. That's what I've been seeing a lot today. Why hire a coordinator from a 5-11 and team? Well, it certainly didn't stop the LA Rams from hiring the youngest head coach in NFL history, Sean McVay, when he came from a 7-8-1 Washington team, did it? I think we can all look at that and say that the Rams made a pretty good hire there. Plus McVay never really had the LSU like season Brady had a year ago with the Tigers. Cliff Kingsbury. He was fired in the big 12 for going 500 with Texas tech. He then steps into the NFL with the Cardinals. And even though, He's had some down moments over the last two years. Did a lot better job than what's come before After in the post-Bruce Arians age in Arizona. it's He's exceeded expectations. That's been a pretty good hire in Arizona, in Phoenix. Joe Brady, let's just be honest with each other here. He's exactly what NFL teams are looking for. Think about this for a second. If you're an NFL owner and you're trying to figure out what type of coach you want... Odds are you're thinking 10-year. You're thinking 15 years. You're not thinking about, oh, I need to bring in Bill Belichick because you want to be forward-thinking. You want to be innovative. You want to be what teams are trying to emulate five or six years from now. So if you're trying to figure out what coach teams are trying to find, if you're an owner, it's Kyle Shanahan. It's Sean McVeigh. What do they have in common? They're young, innovative coaches. Forward-thinking coaches, using analytics to their advantage, college-looking offenses at points. The NFL, it's trending towards college football. He ran, he being Joe Brady, the best college offense I've seen maybe in my lifetime. Statistically, it's hard to argue with it. LSU, what was most frustrated watching them, frustrating watching them, Over the last two decades. You know they recruit this tremendous amount of talent. And they win a ton of games. They did so with Wes Miles. They did so with Ed Orgeron before Joe Brady uh, arrived from the Saints. But the offense was always so miserable to watch. It was ground and pound three yards in a cloud of dust. It was boring. It was slow-paced. It was anemic despite the fact they had NFL talent almost every year at the skill positions. You talk about Leonard Fournette and Geis and Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., these great wide receivers that have come out of LSU, and they didn't really do much while they were in school. I think Jarvis and Odell, they were on the team that won 9-6 to against Bama. Then Joe Brady arrives, and he unlocks the Tigers. They're dominant on their way to winning a national title. He makes Joe Burrow the number one pick in the draft last year. And unlike Cliff Kingsbury, has an NFL experience, learning under Sean Payton, bringing a lot of the tendencies he had learned with New Orleans to LSU and now with the Carolina Panthers. And with Carolina, even though it's a 5-11 and record, it probably should have been a lot worse than that if not for Joe Brady. Carolina, if I were to tell you Christian McCaffrey's going to miss 13 games this year, how many games would you have told me Carolina wins going into the season? Odds are you're not ending up at 5. If I were to tell you in addition to that, Russell Okun, your starting left tackle that you traded a Pro Bowl guard for, is only going to play 7 of the 16 in addition to the McCaffrey games? Uh yeah, this is gonna be a one or a two-win football team. They won five games. Mike Davis, he accounted for more than a thousand yards this year. Curtis Samuel, how many years did we talk about this guy as a potential breakout player? And he never did it in the regular season until being paired with Joe Brady. Robbie Anderson, what a shock it was that this guy outperformed his contract. He looked like one of the best wide receivers in the league. Is it a coincidence? That happened when he was paired with Joe Brady. I don't think so. A few weeks ago, I was talking about this topic, and I felt it would be best for Brady to return to Charlotte because it would make him a stronger coaching candidate in the same way for Eric Bieniemy, who wasn't a household name when he was getting interviews last year, including the Panthers, by the way. And now he is, and he's likely going to get a really good head coaching job. Joe Brady, if he's patient, he's going to have a great opportunity. Matt Rule, he was offered the Jets job. He turned it down because the Jets said that they wanted to pick his assistants and he wouldn't go for that. Matt Rule, because he was patient, got a better head coaching job in Charlotte. That's how I felt with Joe Brady until I saw the headlines of what teams exactly were interested in talking to Joe. See, if it was the Jets or the Lions, I'd probably say, Joe, it's best returning to Charlotte. But Atlanta with good ownership and a future Hall of Fame quarterback and good wide receivers with Julio and Calvin Ridley, that's a pretty good job in Atlanta. A pretty good offense. You can step into that place and compete immediately. LA Chargers, goodness, you're talking about a future with Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen. A defense already. You get the live in Los Angeles. Uh, that's easily one of the top two coaching jobs available. Houston. Deshaun Watson. Are you kidding me? You don't have to worry at all about quarterback moving forward. I couldn't blame him if one of those three jobs offered him the head coaching position. It wouldn't be smart for him to turn it down, I don't think. So I think Joe Brady is going to be a head coach this cycle. And Carolina Is really going to be missing him at about this time next year. In the span of three weeks, shifting things to college football, Alabama receiver Devontae Smith has gone from 22 to 1 odds to win the Heisman Trophy to minus 1,000 tonight. For those who aren't aware of the lingo, that means you have to put up $1,000 just to win 100. If Devontae were to win, if you were to bet on Devontae, that makes him the heavy favorite. And I think he's going to win the award. I also think Devontae is going to run away with the Blitnikoff award as well, which, by the way, Robert, did you know I voted for? You
2: voted for what? The
1: Blitnikoff award.
2: Oh, that's cool. How long have you been doing that? That's nice. Who'd you vote for? I voted for this
1: Devontae guy. However, there is a difference with the Heisman on what will happen, and what should happen. Trevor Lawrence should win the Heisman Trophy, but he's not going to. This is the case. Nobody in college football is more valuable than Trevor Lawrence is. There's easy, tangible evidence to prove this point. Clemson faced Notre Dame without Trevor. They lost in double overtime. They faced Notre Dame with Trevor won by 24 points, and it wasn't even that close. Without Trevor, Boston College nearly beat Clemson in Death Valley. That was a six- or seven-point game. With Trevor Lawrence in the regular season, Clemson, 8-0, and winning all of those games by an average of 33 points per game. He's the best player in college football. The other candidates... They're not nearly as valuable. You might be thinking in your car or however you're listening to this right now, Josh, I don't know if you're trying to find the most valuable player. The Heisman Trophy specifically is handed out to the most outstanding player. To you, I'd ask, what does outstanding mean? If you look at the Heisman Trust website, it doesn't say anything about stats. It doesn't say anything about wins. It's purposefully broad to allow the voters certain latitudes to pick who they think the best player is. For me, I go off value. That's something that's really important for me. And when I look at Alabama, Devontae Smith is going to win the award. Tremendous player. He is one of three Alabama players in the top five of Heisman voting right now. If you watched the national title game, or excuse me, the semifinal, the college football playoff game against Notre Dame, and I told you one of these three guys are going to win the Heisman Trophy, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, or Devontae Smith. You just got to tell me which guy it's going to be. I could probably ask 20 people that question, and I might get, you know, a totally mixed bag of results when Najee Harris is clean jumping somebody in stride. Mac Jones isn't making any mistakes the entire game. And Devontae Smith's catching three touchdowns. Here's my point. If you have three guys in the top five of the vote, are any of them valuable enough to deserve the Heisman Trophy? I think not. Especially a wide receiver. Let's not forget Jalen Waddell. Injured at the beginning of the year when he was seen to be the best receiver in college football. He left, Alabama didn't miss a beat. I feel like as great as Devontae Smith was and is, He's not somebody that would cost Bama games if he's not in the lineup. Some might disagree with me on that. That's the way I feel, though. When it comes to Kyle Trask that was exposed, he didn't have his top weapons. Boo-hoo! Looked terrible against Oklahoma. Trevor hasn't had his top three weapons all year long, or his top three wide receivers. He still found a way to make it work in a way Kyle Trask wasn't able to without Kyle Pitts out there. So that's why I value Trevor over the other three. Without Trevor Lawrence, this also shouldn't be forgotten. We might not have had a college football season. If we're going to make the criteria vague, well, why not include this in the mix? That Trevor used his voice. He's one of the few voices that matter enough that the powers to be they would listen to in college football, and he used it to save the season. Now, I give credit to Darian Rencher, Trevor's teammate at Clemson, Justin Fields, and some of the others that put together the We Want to Play movement. But if it wasn't for Trevor's voice, it's probably not validated the way that it was. Trevor deserves credit. He certainly shouldn't be punished for getting COVID and missing two games. After all, did we punish Ohio State? Is it Ohio State's fault they were only able to play seven games? Or make it six games when... We were deciding who gets into the playoff and who didn't? No. Ohio State still got in, so why not Trevor Lawrence winning the Heisman Trophy? I fear it's going to be Devontae Smith. It's not going to be Trevor because we've become way too stat-reliant and how these things are voted. It bothers me, too, that there are 900 voters for this, Robert. It should be... Like, many of these voters have had a Heisman vote for over 20 to 25 years. Many of which covered college football when they got the vote and then stopped covering college football but still retained the vote, which makes no sense to me. We need to have less people voting for this award because I'm telling you, as somebody who votes for one of the major awards, eh, people are really lazy. Just, oh, who has the best stats? We're just going to give that guy the Heisman. I felt that happened with the Bolitnikoff last year. I felt Jamar Chase won it when he shouldn't have. C.D. Lamb was the best wide receiver in college football in my mind because he faced double coverage and had those tremendous numbers, while Jamar Chase was never double because you have Justin Jefferson, Thaddeus Moss, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire on that offensive side of the ball. We've become too stats reliant, and that's why one of the Alabama guys is going to win, and I think Devontae Smith's going to win it. But it should Trevor Lawrence it really should be
0: Providing you with the latest sports news Commentary and analysis Plus tips on how to cheat at bingo
2: oh, 69. bingo!
0: You're on the drive with Josh Graham On Sports Hub Triad
3: I'll
1: tell you what I enjoyed last night Seeing ACC Twitter Converge with Bachelor Twitter we'll do the bachelor minute for last night's premiere in 15 minutes, former demon deacon and North Carolina guy Matt James starring this season. I'll tell you what's a lot like The Bachelor though, the coaching carousel in the NFL. It can feel a lot like The Bachelor when you got coaching candidates looking to impress, teams looking to trying to figure out which coach to give the rose to and to help break down what's happening right now. CBS Sports senior NFL reporter Jonathan Jones back on with us in the triad. Let's start with Joe Brady and the interest he's receiving. There were the reports last night that three different teams have reached out, the Chargers, the Texans, and the Atlanta Falcons. What's your level of confidence right now? Brady's going to get an NFL head coaching job this cycle.
4: Yeah, Josh, appreciate you having me on. and uh, I would say that my – Uh, level of confidence is that joe brady will return as offensive coordinator of the carolina panthers um you know if this were a couple of years ago when they were going when the league was kind of going through his sean mcvay craze uh you know cincinnati was hiring zach taylor then yeah sure i could see it happening i gotta say uh very surprised that he has drawn as much interest as he has uh the three jobs you know uh, or, the, excuse me, the three teams that are interviewing him for the jobs. Um, you know, he, he, he was a solid play caller at LSU, no doubt about it. Uh, he called the place for what is probably the, the best offense we've seen in modern college football history. And then he comes to the league, and, you know, they, they won five games. And the offense uh, underperformed. Now, some of that had to do with Teddy Bridgewater and how his play fell off the cliff in the final five weeks of the season. But... Um, you know the the offense had issues, uh, and yeah, guys got yards, and the team sometimes scored points, but um, I would be surprised if Joe Brady at 31 with very little NFL experience um, with everything it takes to be an NFL head coach that he would get a job his first time around the interview
1: cycle. Do you suspect that there is a trend right now when it comes to some of the hires or some of the candidates that are being considered? You reference Sean McVay and anybody who's had any interaction with McVay, it seemed like, was getting a head coaching interview. What might that look like now with the amount of college coaches we're seeing hired with Matt Rule, with Cliff Kingsbury, with some valuing the CEO-type head coach versus the the top coordinator, whether it be offensive or defensive, what have you noticed about the type of coaches who are trendy right now?
3: Yeah, um,
4: I think, you know, it's it's in the eye of the team. It's in the eye of the beholder. And, you know, for a team like, let's say, the Chargers, I could absolutely see them going for an offensive-minded head coach because you don't want to get in a position where maybe you have a defensive head coach and then he has to bring in an offensive coordinator. And then that offensive coordinator the next year – when he does well with Justin Herbert, leaves and takes another job, and then you're just going through this cycle with your young quarterback who has to learn a different system or new terminology year in, year out. So with especially a young quarterback, I could see a team hiring an offensive mind. So, yeah, that's where you're going to start talking about a Brian Dable uh, or a, an Arthur Smith from Tennessee. Anywhere else maybe that has an established veteran starter, I think that that becomes – uh, less necessary, and you can sort of just get, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the, the, the best leader of men. And, you know, Eric Bieniemy has checked all the boxes for me. Offensive play caller for um, a, a Super Bowl champion. Uh, his quarterback won the NFL MVP, won the Super Bowl MVP, will probably finish second in this year's MVP voting. Uh, they may repeat as Super Bowl champion. So um, really, if you're Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, if you're Houston with Deshaun Watson, if you're uh, the Chargers with Justin Herbert, or the Falcons with whomever, I think that you would be best served going with someone like that.
1: It's CBS Sports senior NFL reporter Jonathan Jones with us on Twitter at jjones9. Shoot him a follow there on Twitter if you haven't already. You covered pretty much Cam Newton's entire career in Charlotte, and we've all been watching what happened in New England this year, ending on a high note right after the report came out by Adam Schefter, that there be a parting of ways in the offseason between Cam and New England. How do you view the options that are going to be available to Cam? Because a lot of people realize that even if football doesn't work out, I mean, we see guys retiring earlier and earlier, Andrew Luck, and, of course, guys who are used to taking more and more hits on defense and offense. Cam's going to be a guy that I imagine is going to have a public – post-football life there are going to be options in that case as well but what do you see in terms of his football options available
4: yeah it's hard to find a place for cam uh in 2021 I, I would the only place where you can think that he would have a chance of being a starter at least as it stands today the first week of january would be washington uh, because you we we understand that um we they don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be will they retain out Smith? at his current price tag or not, uh, that's an evaluation they're going to have to make. And then, of course, there's the Ron Rivera Rivera factor there. And so what are the chances of that? Uh, You know, I don't know if I'd put it over 5 or 10%, but they would be the higher odds of anywhere else, uh, any other random uh, team. Would you
1: be surprised if you retired, Jonathan?
4: Yeah, I would. Um, I, I think that, You know, he talked after the game about how he wanted to prove to himself that he could remain healthy, that the shoulder, that the foot, that everything else held up, that he said his mental's held up. It was obviously a very trying year for him, and his body does not do some of the things that it did five, six years ago. We all saw that, and and everyone knows that, and Cam knows that as well. Um, But for him to retire at, I think he's 31 right now, will be 32 in May, um, you know, people asked me that back during the Andrew Luck stuff. Will, will Cam retire? Will he go that route? And I just don't think he's, he's built like that. That doesn't mean that Andrew Luck is built uh, lesser than or anything. He was just different. Um, uh, you know, that's the reason he, he went back to Stanford uh, instead of coming out in 2011. He's just a different dude. Cam, though, I, just, I, I don't think that that's how he's wired. And the fact that he was able, as you mentioned, to end on a high note, uh, certainly for that one game, but then also that his shoulder didn't fall off, that he didn't re-injure his foot, that he can have a full off-season and feel refreshed uh, come June for OTAs and minicamp. Yeah, I, I, I could see him playing again. It's just a matter of if he can get his mind right to understand that uh, he's not going to go in anywhere and be a week one starter unless there's an injury.
1: What do you see him doing when he's done playing football, whenever that is?
4: Well, I mean, really, ever since before the, the 2015 season, he and his, his team have been positioning him for, um, you know, a, 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 some sort of media career. You know, I don't know if it's a Michael Strahan, because, you know, there there are very few people who can even do what Michael Strahan does. Um, but, no, I don't think that can's necessarily going to go call uh, games in a booth. Uh, I don't know if he would necessarily be a studio analyst, but... You want to see him as a game show host? Uh, You know, uh, he he loves kids, doing something, working with kids. You know, I could could see those things as a possibility for Cam.
1: Ah, I just figured it out. Cam Newton, after the new TV deals negotiated and they add more Nickelodeon games, he could be the color analyst slash play-by-play guy on the Nickelodeon feed whenever that is, when Nickelodeon gets its (laughs) weekly game. On the way out, see, since you're a, a Tar Heel alum, Any thoughts on this Tar Heel basketball team on the way out? Uh,
4: uh, As a Tar Heel alum, as an aging Tar Heel alum, uh, I have grown uh, less and less interested in Tar Heel basketball when they're doing poorly. I believe that's (laughs) called the wine and cheese crowd. When they're doing well, I'm absolutely going to pay attention. I'll root hard for the Tar Heels. But I've heard they've lost a couple lately, Have fallen out of the top 25. And so because of that, they, at this current moment, do not exist to me.
1: For the first time in history, Saturday afternoon, a ranked Clemson team will be facing an unranked North Carolina team for the first time ever this Saturday. Jonathan Jones, thanks for spending the time, buddy. Keep up the great work at CBS Sports. I've I've enjoyed following it from afar. I appreciate it. Josh. Got it. That is Jonathan Jones on Twitter at jjones9. Speaking of that Tar Heel matchup, North Carolina better win tonight, man. <laughs> they better win tonight. Miami, they're in Coral Gables. Chris likes. he is still out with an injury. Miami's most dynamic player. So you're going to be seeing a lot of Cameron McGusty out there. And they play 8 or 9, or at least they did the last time out. But without Likes, they're very thin like they were a year ago when they were getting beat by North Carolina and Chapel Hill. That's how bad things were. I think they won even without Cole Anthony, or that might have been the game Cole returned to the lineup. North Carolina, they're figuring out some recipes for success. The Heels, they're starting better. They're playing with more urgency from the jump. De'Ron Sharp, you got to play the guy more than 20 minutes tonight. He has to be the focal point. I'd say if you're Miami, attack him, but I don't know if that's what you want to do with the guy who's averaging over a block and over a steal per game. But as I mentioned, first time ever. Clemson's ranked facing North Carolina, who's unranked, in Chapel Hill. That's going to be an intriguing game regardless of what happens tonight in Miami. So we'll be keeping an eye on NC State playing Clemson in Little John Coliseum. Yeah! And North Carolina playing at Miami. All right, I think we've put this off enough, Robert. The suspense, it's just palpable at this point. We'll do our first Bachelor Minute for former Demon Deacon Matt James' season next on The Drive.
0: Hit it. Go. Let's begin. It's on. The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad.
1: It's time for the moment our show has been getting ready for for a long time now. The Bachelor Minute. With a former Wake Forest Demon Deacon starring. It was really great seeing ACC Twitter and Bachelor Twitter engaging at one time while the show was on last night, but before we dive into the Bachelor Minute, Robert, I think we need to establish what the bet is. You, me, Sawyer, we each submitted four picks in our Bachelor Draft, there are three over 30 women being considered by Matt James. That list has been cut nearly in half. But if one of our, uh, one of the women that we've selected wins the Bachelor, wins Matt James' Hart, we need to figure out what the bet is. I think we came off, with, came up with something off air that I think is pretty good. The winner, whoever had selected the winner of the Bachelor correctly gets to choose a movie for each of the other two to watch as a form of punishment, which is pretty good, I think. Or should it be two movies? No, a movie's fine. Just two movies that you both have to watch, so that way you guys are all watching the same movies. In fact, I like that better. If you win, you get to pick two movies that both the other people have to watch in a week span, And then we'll get a review of those movies on the show.
2: Sound good? Yeah, but Sawyer's not here. Like, are we just going to agree to it without him here? Yeah, Sawyer,
1: he's going to commit to it. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to dial him up while we start the Bachelor Minute to try and get this thing ironclad yesterday? He
2: just had wisdom teeth taken out, so I don't know if he's going to be able to talk.
1: Let's just check on that (laughs) while we start the Bachelor Minute. How's that sound?
0: Matt James is a hometown guy. He's our guy. And Matt has one question for you. Will you accept this rose? Yes! 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 I'll have what she's having. Time now for the Bachelor Minute. If he can't talk, then
1: just ask him if he'll commit to that proposal but I think I brought it up to him sometime over the last week. It is the Bachelor Minute, and you have a former Demon Deacon involved in the proceedings. The show went from zero to a hundred immediately, where they had kind of a teaser for what was going to happen in the episode, and it was Katie, who I told you last week, Robert, I had gone through the Instagram pages of all... The contestants this year, and I saw that she had some videos that were pretty vulgar. On the surface, she seemed very sweet, very kind, but the vulgarness had me stay away. Turns out that translated to action as well, as Katie's first impression walking up to Matt James was to introduce her to an adult toy. If that's how you like the party, Good on you. Matt James seemed to dig it a little bit. He pushed her through the first cuts when the rose ceremony came around. But that was kind of a breaking point for some who were watching, and that was their first impression of the show. I can't tell you how many people told me over the last 24 hours, I'd never watched The Bachelor before, but I'm going to give it a shot, with Matt James being a North Carolina guy, with Matt James going to Wake Forest. If that's the first impression that you get, oh boy, yeah, that's that's kind of bold from the jump. There were Wake Forest and North Carolina references. They were showing his background, working with inner city youth in New York City while he was wearing a jersey of his college teammate, Kevin Johnson, who was drafted by the Houston Texans. It was a number 30 jersey that he was wearing. Then he met Kalon who decided to have the first impression, Robert, of riding up in a pickup truck, and every five seconds, she mentioned something about her being from North Carolina and them together being from North Carolina. She's from Durham. He's from Raleigh. Raleigh, Durham. That's where we're from. Those are the same cities, right? That was... Kayla from last night. I'm trying to think of other ways she could have integrated the fact she's from North Carolina into her pitch here. I like Lexington-style barbecue. I like Eastern-style. I'm a sweet tea girl. Go down the list. Here's my go-to cookout tray. None of that. Maybe that'll get in later in the season. Then there's Alana, who I picked as one of the one of my draft selections here. Alana did the lady in the tramp first impression where they had spaghetti and they imitated the kiss really well done on her part mj rolled up in a tattered pizza car like a, a delivery pizza car and delivered a pizza pizza just to deliver the line i know this is cheesy but and So on and so forth. Sine, she had the goat slippers. That didn't really go well. She's to say that she's the best candidate. She's the goat. There's some slippers. She got sent home. Sorry, Sawyer. What are some other ways you think you can maybe do some homework if you're one of these women and try to impress a guy who went to Wake Forest drawing on some things here? Like drawing on some things you could find on the
2: internet. I don't know because like if i was one of these girls i just wouldn't be trying as hard as everybody else i would still be trying but i wouldn't be like oh going over the top like every single one of these girls i mean if you play a little hard to get then he's probably gonna be a little more drawn to you. So, I mean, all this over-the-top, hey, I like Wake Forest. I've seen a game with the Deacons before, and all that stuff is. Tell just me kinda... about the 0-0 game where Frank Beamer was extending his arms. Yeah, she like if, if some girl came up to him and said that, he would find it like disingenuous. So, you like putters? Yeah, sure. Stuff like that. <laughs> That's just over the top for me. So here's where we're at when it comes to our draft picks. We did a really good job, Robert.
1: Four out of four for me. Four out of four for you, including Abigail, who is, has hearing aids, so I think she's close to being deaf. How is it described in the description that you remember reading? She has cochlear implants. Ah, gotcha. She was given the first impression, Rose. Really sweet. Easily the favorite right now. Good work on your part. And Sawyer... Three out of the four that he selected through the first round of cuts thus far. And that is The Bachelor Minute. I assume we couldn't get in touch with Sawyer.
2: Yeah, he he didn't answer, but I texted him and he he agreed to the deal.
1: Perfect. So, we'll pick two movies for
2: the losing parties,
1: if there are in fact losing parties, to watch. But then again, we'll find a winner one way or the other unless our... The, the the ones that advance the most are cut in the same round, which I don't see happening considering how many we already got through to the first cuts here. I think Sarah left a really good impression. The journalist, MJ, she was the one that delivered the pizza. Really exciting first night of The Bachelor. I don't know what I'm going to do next week where it goes head-to-head with the college football playoff. Hey, Disney, how come you think it's a good idea to have the college football playoff on one of your properties and then The Bachelor at the same damn time on another one of your properties. You think that people that like The Bachelor are also not going to like the college football
2: playoff? Well, you're wrong. You're wrong, Disney. I think they're, they're kind of right, probably. I mean, it's probably going to fit in where those are different demographics.
1: Not with Matt James starring. Then again... Why would ACC fans be interested in the college football
2: playoff national title game? Not a lot going on. for. So how many chicks get eliminated next week?
1: I don't know how many women are left as of right now. I think we're like at around 17 to 20. I think that's where we're sitting right now. And then we're probably going to see four or five go at one time until you get to about 12 to 10. So we'll get a really good sense of this very soon. We didn't have time to really discuss this yesterday, but Sam Howell, terrific game against Texas A&M. The Tar Heels weren't able to win, unfortunately. He's getting a lot of Heisman hype on the day that the Heisman's going to be announced tonight. He's getting Heisman hype for next college football season. He is second in Heisman odds, only trailing Oklahoma's Spencer Rattler. But that's not why he's getting a lot of attention on the social media webs right now. No, the reason he's getting attention right now is because according to an interview he gave, I think it was ahead of the Orange Bowl, he does not eat any other meat than chicken. Which means... In his life... Sam Howe has not had a hamburger... Or a steak... Or seafood. Which of those do you find to be most egregious, Robert? Or most unbelievable?
2: Uh, probably a hamburger. You can't convince me that this dude's parents didn't drive through McDonald's and throw a hamburger back there at him. You can't convince me of that. But also... This is super damning for his draft stock. Like I if, think so too. If I was if I was a general manager and I'm like, so you don't eat anything besides like chicken nuggets, chicken tenders, maybe it's some like butter pasta or something. It's like an inability to change, an inability to step out of your comfort zone. How is Cowherd not eating this up already? Still, uh, hey, making, you can't win with this quarterback. He's not mature. He only eats chicken nuggets. Yeah, he's still, still making fun of Baker Mayfield, so he's a little preoccupied. Wait till he gets <laughs> drafted. I'm sure he'll he'll hammer him.
1: Yeah, this will get brought up. I got a feeling. This is the quote that he gave. People give me a hard time, but the only meat I eat is chicken. It's been like that my whole life. I really don't know why. I started that when I was younger, but it's something I've just kept up with my entire life. Chicken's the only meat I eat, so I only go to restaurants that serve something with chicken on the menu. He frequents Chick-fil-A, eats a lot of chicken tenders and nuggets. Listen. This might be a hot take. I know it's not let's get crazy, but I'll deliver it anyway. If you're past the age of 24 and you're eating, I'll say if you're past the age of 21 and you're eating chicken nuggets for dinner, then you're not an adult.
2: Unless they're dinosaur shaped. I feel like the dinosaur shape kind of like <laughs> cancels it out, like Pim Doss, you know? <laughs> What does his plate look like at Christmas, at Thanksgiving? That's a great question. You just bring home some nuggies to throw on your plate with all your sides? He doesn't eat turkey? That's that's what I would have followed with. What about turkey? Part of me
1: wants to have Sam Howe on the show. We're not going to forget this. We'll have Sam back on again sometime soon. And when we do this, we're just going to rattle off things. Thanksgiving dinner.
2: What are you eating? You eat yogurt? You like yogurt? Do you like fruit? Asian pears? You ever mix it up at all? Asian pears? <laughs> what are other popular circumstances
1: to eat meat that is not chicken? Thanksgiving is the one obvious one. Like July 4th, like hot dogs and hamburgers, dude. That's great. What do you Yeah, when, when people were having cookouts, I never really went to cookouts where people were just throwing chicken breasts out on the thing. It's always hot
2: dogs and hamburgers. I mean, I've been to some with like barbecued chicken and stuff, but it's like, do you eat chicken substitute hot dogs? And the guy's from Charlotte, eat so he patties? knows the deal.
3: Mm.
1: I'm suspicious about this. Suspicious. As Robert said, this might hurt his draft stock going into next football season. A reminder, make sure to subscribe to The Best of Podcasts. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham wherever you get your podcasts. It's that simple, and it, you can access the best hour of each of our shows every day just by searching The Drive with Josh Graham wherever you get your podcasts. Fun, fun show today, and tomorrow, B Dot's going to be in studio for the first time in 21. I think his mood's going to depend a lot on North Carolina-Miami tonight. Brendan Marks going to join us as well. You are listening to WSGS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPCM Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up Sports Up Triad.
0: Yes, Josh Graham has opinions. That's right. And yes, he's got attitude. That's correct. And that's exactly why you love him. <laughs> you wish I loved you that much. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham.
1: At the risk of being the turd in the punch bowl guy, I feel like we need to talk about the hype that's already being drummed up for North Carolina football, even though they didn't win the game against Texas A&M Saturday night. They're getting 19 of their 22 starters back on offense and defense. Sam Howell's returning. You just know if we're allowed to convene an ACC kickoff in Charlotte this year that they're going to be the pick to win the Coastal. They're going to be the sexy pick to potentially knock off Clemson. Maybe even Miami as well with the Eric King returning. But I feel like, kind of like with Alabama at this point, Clemson deserves the benefit of the doubt. Even with DJ Uyunga, the at quarterback, and whoever at running back. You got Ladson back at wide receiver. Williams coming back. Maybe even Justin Ross waiting to hear what that announcement is. Here to talk college football with us is now Andrea Adelson who covered the semifinal with Clemson and Ohio State in New Orleans last week. She, of course, works at ESPN on Twitter at A. Adelson, ESPN, and we'll get to the national title game in just a bit. Again, I know I'm the bummer for trying to drum up hype among many of the Tar Heel fans listening to this right now, but how wide do you believe the gap to be between Clemson and North Carolina and Miami heading into 2021 offseason?
3: So I think there is a gap between Clemson and everybody else. Uh, but I think North Carolina is much closer than Miami at this point. Uh, look, Miami was a mess in the games in which they played teams that were better than them, record-wise. Uh, we saw it even in the bowl game uh, that I, I appreciated the comeback, even without at King, uh, but they still fell short. And I know at King the team says is supposed to be ready for fall camp but I'm not banking on anything with Miami at this point because we don't know how that rehab is going to go they were a mess on defense they have to make changes there they're going to be younger on that side of the ball I think they've got some decent skill players coming back but I do think there's a large gap right now between North Carolina and Miami I think North Carolina is going to be the hands down Uh, favorite in the Coastal Division uh, next season. And, you know, the thing that I appreciated with Max' comments yesterday in his closing Zoom for the season was the way he spoke about embracing those expectations now. You know, this year it was kind of like, I don't know, are we ready for this? Well, next year he says they are ready for it. And I, this quote really stood out to me when he said, we're at a point now where we don't need to lose any games. Things are different now for this program. And there is going to be a different mentality around there. This off season, knowing now that Mac has already thrown down the gauntlet and the bar has already been set much higher than where it was this year, even though the expectations were high, I think outside. So, For me, when I look at North Carolina and the fact that they're going to be somewhere ranked in the preseason, you know, top 10 to top 15, it's embracing those expectations and now proving that they have made those inroads. Forget about Miami. You want to make inroads to get closer to Clemson because that's where the top of the ACC is right now. And Mac talked at length about that, and he feels like they're getting closer. They're obviously recruiting at a high level. Now they got to go out on the field and prove it next year.
1: It's Max's comments reminded me a lot of something former NFL coach and former East Carolina head coach Steve Logan told me a few years ago. He said, there are three stages for programs to be in. I want to win, which everybody, hey, at base value, you want to win games. I expect to win, which sounds like that's where North Carolina is stepping into. And then there's... It's my responsibility to win, which is Clemson, which is Alabama. If you lose a game, it's, it's why when they win games and win national titles, the first thing they say they feel is relief more than anything else because it's their responsibility, if you're at one of those places, to win those big games. You look at these Heisman odds, Andrea, for Sam Howe. He has the second greatest Heisman odds going into 2021 behind Spencer Rattler. It feels a bit too soon to be talking Heisman odds for next year when tonight we have the Heisman announcement about to happen in the next two hours or so. It seems like it's going to be Devontae Smith, who went from 22-1 to 1 odds to minus 1,000 as I look at it right now, meaning if you bet $1,000, you win 100 I get it. I'm a call voter. I voted for Devontae Smith. He's a tremendous wide receiver. But... I still think Trevor Lawrence deserved to win the Heisman Trophy this year, and he shouldn't be punished for sitting out two games due to COVID in the same way Ohio State wasn't punished, despite the fact they only played six games this year. How do you look at the Heisman race between the four finalists?
3: It was much harder this year to cast a ballot than any other year because of what all of these players have gone through and the uneven schedules that everybody played. So there wasn't really a way, at least for me, to compare statistically, even though I think Mac and Devontae and Kyle Trask ended up playing the same number of games. Obviously, Trevor did not. So what I tried to do when I evaluated this year, and I have a Heisman vote, and I'm not going to reveal the Heisman vote. Yeah, That's I don't want to get you to. in trouble <laughs> here. Um, but what I tried to do was who made the largest impact on their team. I, I used, I hate to use this phrase because it drives me crazy when the committee uses it, the, the eye test, so to speak, but I didn't want to rely on stats. I think this award has become way too stat-driven and two quarterback heavy over the last several years. So I wanted to just evaluate it on what did I see? How did these players look? And I watched all of these players all year long. And so I tried to draw my conclusions and my top three based off of that. Uh, so that, that's number one. I think number two on the discussion with Trevor is and I'm I'm working on something you know right right now about this. I feel as if Trevor not only was I don't know if punished is the right word, but people kind of held the 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 two fewer games perhaps against him because he was the the front runner and then he missed because of COVID and then he never became the front runner again. So it's not it's not only that. I think the thing about Trevor is that. Because we've seen him do this now for three years, it's almost as if he's taken for granted when he goes out there and does what he does, because we've seen him do this now for three years. We saw him as a true freshman absolutely dominate Alabama. And so when he goes out and throws for 400 yards in the first half against Georgia Tech, it's easy to dismiss that because, A, oh, it's Georgia Tech. And B, oh, yeah, we've already seen him do all this before and only play, you know, a half or three quarters throughout his entire career. Whereas most years when it comes to Heisman balloting, voters are choosing the surprise candidate, you know, ooh, who came on the scene and emerged this year? And that's where Kyle Trask and Mac Jones and Devontae Smith, I think, um, had something that Trevor did not and allowed voters perhaps to vote for them because maybe they were the more surprising wow factor, had a Heisman moment. And Trevor, because he's done this already, um, doesn't. We're used to Trevor. We know he's the best player in college football. We know he's going to be the number one overall pick. And so to me, I think that really hurt him in the Heisman balloting and the Heisman voting. Uh, And when I look at Kyle Trask, I think the best player on the field for that offense was Kyle Pitts. And when I look at Alabama, I think the best player on that field was Devontae Smith. And I'm forgetting about all the stats and and what is that going to look like? Who is the guy that I don't want to be having to scheme for and to match up against? It's Trevor Lawrence. It's Devontae Smith. And it's Kyle Pitts. Um, Those three guys to me were the standouts this year. Um, I'm not going to say who was on the ballot or how it was ranked or how it ended up, uh, but I actually ended up going with more skill players or thinking about skill players more than any other year uh, because I didn't want to rely solely on stats.
1: Andrea Adelson with us here, Heisman voter, as you just mentioned, ESPN, uh, covered the Sugar Bowl last week, and we got the national title game coming up. We think next Monday, if there's anything you've heard on that front, <laughs> feel free to fill in, fill us in because I know that's kind of a fluid situation. I know your colleague Heather Denich doing a lot of really good stuff on that today to keep us filled in on where Ohio State's at with its COVID situation. But looking at the game, there's a chance Jalen Waddle might play. That would be a tremendous story after he got hurt on the opening kickoff against Tennessee, I think way back on October the 24th. It seems like this is Alabama's game to win. A lot of people said that about Clemson going into that Ohio State game. What do you think? What, what, what do you think decides this national title game?
3: So right now the game is on a scheduled for Monday, but it is a fluid situation because both of these teams test daily. And so it's the same thing as it's been for every other game and every other week, right? you got to wait on those tests. You're holding your breath every single day, waiting on what those test results are going to tell you. Uh, my colleagues have reported, you mentioned Heather, Adam Rittenberg has reported that Ohio State did practice today. They, both teams are scheduled to have their media days tomorrow and Thursday. Uh, so unless something changes with the testing, uh, everyone is expecting this game to happen on Monday. But again, TBD, because <laughs> we've seen games canceled the day of uh, this season. Yeah. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. Uh, for the national championship game. As for what's going to make the difference, I think there are a couple of factors here at play that really um, came to light in the Clemson-Ohio State game. I think, number one, Ohio State was able to take advantage of areas where Clemson maybe was not as strong this year as they have been in recent years. Number one, on the line. Offensive and defensive lines completely dominated that game. Well, against Alabama, they're going to be facing the best offensive line in the country. So that might not be a position where Ohio State can easily dominate with their defensive line the way that they did against Clemson. Number two, Clemson's receivers, not as strong as a group as we have seen from them in years past. Well, obviously that's completely different for Alabama, whether or not Jalen Waddell plays they have got a tremendous set of receivers in addition to Devontae Smith and that's where I think Alabama is going to have another advantage and I think the third thing is Clemson's um, secondary also not as good as we have seen uh, in years past and it certainly did not help that uh, Nolan Turner uh, was going to be out of the game and so when you look at Alabama's Secondary and the potential for Ohio State to make some plays. I think the potential exists there, but Alabama's also got the best corner in the country in Patrick Sertan. So, when you start adding all of those factors up, to me, it still points to Alabama having the edge uh, in a lot of different position groups where Ohio State, in hindsight, probably had an edge on Clemson. If Ohio State can dominate with their offensive line the way that they did last week. And I think there's a possibility because Alabama is not as strong on the defensive front, perhaps as they have been in recent years. If Ohio State can do that, if Justin Fields can play the game of his life, once again, if Trey Sermon has another 200 yards rushing, then I think Ohio State can stay in this game. Justin Fields is going to be the biggest key to it all. If he can replicate that with an injury now to his side, I think it'll be a heck of a game. If he cannot, if he starts making mistakes, throwing interceptions the way that we had seen in those six previous games before Clemson, then it could end up uh, into an Alabama route. So I, I give the edge to Alabama because of what they've done offensively, what they have with their skill position players. Uh, but I'm really, really hoping we get a good game because I am tired of seeing blowouts.
1: <laughs> I'm right there with you. Andrea Adelson <laughs> on Twitter at A Adelson ESPN. Uh, always appreciate the time. Enjoy the Heisman ceremony tonight. We'll see how it ends up in just a little bit in the national title game less than a week away. I don't know if you're into The Bachelor. I'm a huge fan of the show, but it was great oh, to boy. see the confluence of ACC media and Bachelor Nation fans uh, <laughs> last night. Uh, I'm, I'm just disappointed if you didn't watch to report that none of the women brought up the 0 Wake Forest Virginia Tech classic Matt James was a part of in 14.
3: Well, that is unfortunate to hear. I did not watch, <laughs> but I'm going to say that my husband for some reason was watching. Yes. Uh, my sister-in-law yes. is a huge fan, and I guess she roped him into it. And I was like, I, I know, I, look, I know there's the Wake connection. That's great. <laughs> I cannot stand that show. I'm sorry. So you and I'm Dave Clawson
1: both. Sister. Dave Clawson's out on it, too. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry. I just could. I couldn't do it.
1: I. I just. I can't. <laughs> well, it's my guilty pleasure. That's all I got. Anyway, <laughs> that's, and, that's good. Uh, Andrea, uh, you're the best. Um, take care. Thanks for doing this. All
3: right, Josh. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you got
1: it. it. That's Andrea Adelson of ESPN.